Welcome to this episode of our new AWS podcast series, Innovation Ambassadors. I'm Sarah Armstrong, and as Senior Manager for Worldwide Prototyping at AWS, I'll act as your ambassador to some of the most interesting engagements with our AWS prototyping teams. On this episode of Innovation Ambassadors, we're showcasing the journey of Vimana Tech, a technology company based in Melbourne, Australia, with the mission to bring ethical artificial intelligence solutions to a broad range of industries. We'll explore how Vimana worked with the AWS prototyping team to leverage the power of machine learning, edge and cloud technologies to deliver actionable business insights to everyone from farmers to retailers and construction companies. I'm excited to welcome our special guest, Joel Cooperholtz, CEO of Monotech. Thanks so much for being with us today, Joel. G'day, thanks for having me. And joining us from AWS is Martin Payne, our senior prototyping engineer from Australia, prototyping team. Always great to chat with you, Martin. Yeah, hi, Sarah. It's great to chat again. So, Joel, can you tell us a little bit about the Monotech and your vision? Absolutely. Monotech was co-founded by myself and Vignesh Murugan with really a sort of lofty, delusionally large goal uh, inspired by modern sci-fi, which was really around consumerizing AI, making it something accessible to the everyday person and as well as developer. I love that idea of a, a delusional or audacious goal that you set out for yourself. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about what that means in practice. If I'm one of your customers, what does it mean for me to have consumerized or commercialized machine learning? Basically, we, we found that AI and computer vision and all of these things, it, it's very, everyone's aware of it, it exists. But it's something that's only really attainable or practical if you're a big business or if, you're, if you've got a lot of money to throw at it. You have to have a tech team and a, a stats team. And basically, so well, why are people locked out of this? And when we started working with whether it was farmers or, or retailers, we found that you know, at, at the grassroots mom and pop level, which can still be a really respectable sized business, it, it was just nothing that they could achieve. It, it was out of reach. Mm -hmm. And we basically said, well, how can we consumerize this? And, you know, Vermont Tech set out to really, we have this, you know, consumerizing AI, assembling technology for value. And we realized that so many of our ideas and, and projects that we wanted to work on, they failed because the deployment, the infrastructure, it was, it was too involved. And we basically said, well, how can we get back to just solving problems? We love prototyping. We love building. How can we do that thing and then let other people use that thing and just do what they want to do? Be, you know, people can specialize and just do that undifferentiated plumbing. And so how did you come to work with Martin and his team? You mentioned you love experimentation and prototyping. So how did you connect with Martin's team? It, it was really quite serendipitous. I, uh, I've been a DJ for many years and actually met one of Martin's colleagues that way. And I think just as tech nerds do, we got geeking out over something and you know, we were invited to come and chat with the team and we sort of ran Martin and his colleagues through what we were working on. And I think it was just a shared excitement, if I can say that, if put words in your mouths, uh, 
that this lofty ambition of or, or naively large idea was was shared. So, Martin, how did you take this kind of very broad vision and uh, and work with Joel and his team to determine what we were going to build with them? What was the approach we took? It was ambitious. Like, there's a lot going on at each level of what they were trying to uh, experiment with, but also the constant parts of their their vision that they needed to build. But they had already learned a lot about what they had to do to deliver it. So it was just, there was a lot there that we could potentially focus on. So they'd gone through a working backwards workshop with uh, Mark Teichel, our team leader, and Rob Finlay, who runs our digital innovation. And it, working backwards is that Amazon approach to identifying customer challenges in a, in a non-solution-oriented way, a non-tech you know, way, which is super helpful for well, tech people like me, because we, we tend to think of the gadgets first and the problems second. So, I, yeah, the first thing I did was look at this, the, the outputs from that, that working backwards workshop just to try and understand the contours and topology of their vision from a business perspective uh, and hoping that would give us some sort of compass to, to guide us to part of the, the hardest part of their problem to tackle that was also the constant part of their problem, because they're, they're doing experiments here, experiments there, but their ultimate goal was what we were trying to help them with and simultaneously hit on something that would help them do the experiments and uh, assessments and value investigations along the way and just sort of clear away the, the, the repeated efforts that they would, they would, would hit no matter what they were trying. So, Joel, bringing those actionable business insights and allowing those customers of yours to to leverage that power of uh, machine learning and artificial intelligence, walk us through what that feels like for your customers. I'm a mom and pop shop. I'm a retailer. Talk me through, you know, what that feels like for me. What is my experience of of Vimana? Basically, to start with, we had to build trust. We, we had to build trust in the technology and reliance on this technology. We, we also wanted to see technology and humans working together, not independently like we've seen in many industries. And so to begin with, we felt, well, this is a very emotional thing. It's often intangible, but requires tangible. And what I mean by that is, if you take a, a, a retailer, you know, there is no substitute for standing in the store and feeling what's going on, seeing customers walking around, listening to everything, feeling the temperature, the vibration. Like it's it's a tangible thing. It's an intangible but it's an intangible metric. Right. So how can we build that level of I, I guess trust and reliance into technology? But because we also you know, with a background in data science, data is overwhelming. Business owners have enough on their plate and we don't want to be just saying, all right, here's more graphs and here's a whole lot of numbers and go hire someone to process this data and give you graphs. And then, but what do I do with these graphs? What, what is the insight? But more than the insight, what is the action from the insight that I can get out of this? So not only did we need to build a trust uh, in the technology, 
we had to actually build a trust in the absence of hearing from the technology, whereby you don't log in to the platform to see how your store's going. Your store's going great unless you hear from us, but it's not therefore something that you need to fear and, oh, God, I've just got a notification, I have to deal with it. It's, it's proactive. It's at the forefront because we understand your store. And in the retail context, I think this was, uh, you know, we certainly set out a very hard first goal of ours, but we did this because we wanted to prove we can handle the, on the tech side computer vision AI, but on the retail side, we've deployed human behavior models that, you know, is all private and ethical and, you know, anonymous, but it can provide a business owner information on how their customers are behaving in different parts of the stores and different times of the day. And what it shows is that we treat your customers as our customers, that we care about them at a human emotional level. We actually didn't start with point of sales data. We started with the emotional data to say that this is first and foremost, how can we ensure that your customers have an awesome experience in your store? From there, do you trust that we care enough and basically build it out that way? Amazing. So Martin, talk us through your technology approach here. It's a pretty expansive vision, <laughs> right? And so how do we hone in in those uh, short weeks that we have with Joel and his team? How do we hone in on something um, that's going to actually build that foundation that they can then further? Because our time with Vimana was going to be so constrained at sort of four to six weeks, it's really important that we're focusing on the right thing at the very beginning. So we actually set aside quite a chunk of time, I think it was probably almost a week, just to have conversations and really um, thrash out with Joel and the crew what it was they were having the most difficulty with and, you know, what their uh, technology reference work that done, they'd done so far actually did and what, what it was trying to do and, and what, how, how evolved it was and how much it had to go and all that stuff. So, there's all these different areas we could focus on that they had um, they were capturing vision from um, from edge locations and doing some local processing and then uh, feeding it into uh, some remote stuff and so we could look at doing a really cool edge IOT based video consumption ingestion and um, processing platform that they could uh, turn into a you know, productize and and we could do the infrastructure that would make that really and take away the undifferentiated heavy lifting bits of that. Or we could look at um, some of the analytics stuff or we could look at these other things. So because there was so much we could pick off, we really wanted to make sure it was the right thing that we were doing. So we did that in deep dive into, into what they were trying to do and what was going to be constant. And that fed into what we call the solution space, which is just a scoping document that's focused on the kind of stuff that the working backwards process produces and identify the key uh, spaces or facets of, of a solution. So trust, uh, simplicity, scale, et cetera, and security. And then from that, we framed up a technical approach. And I think what we saw both in the immediate work that Vig and, and the tech team were building and in their long-term goal for their customers, there was this... Um, it was the wire up and the the frameworks for compliance and safe sharing of, of of analytics and insights between things and it was the marketplace stuff that was the constant. So that's what we we 
picked off. We, we built a the Vimana Development Kit framework, which of the VDK, which it was a deliberate sound-alike acronym for our CDK stuff, which is the Cloud Development Kit, which it was based on. Nice. And that was important to you, um, wasn't it, Joel, to have both a, a very easy-to-use platform, but one that also was extensible so that other developers could connect into your platform and use it and augment what you've had to their own needs. So that duality you had, in the, did you have that sort of concept from the beginning? Absolutely. It, we were 100% focused on being tech developers on the developer's experience and how easy it is to actually create an application and just focus on that. Uh, you know, if you imagine like a human body, you know, you've come up with a, a, a brain that if it has eyes, it can come up with something really interesting. But, you know, connecting the cameras all the way to that model and processing that model and then getting an output to connect to your arms or your leg, it's involved. So how can you just focus on the brain part? But at the same time, how can a business owner who is, you know, time sensitive find it really easy and not daunting to actually gain the insights from this and actually, and that's why I think the the term duality is really nice because the fact that we might use AI is actually irrelevant to the store owner or to the decision maker or to the farmer. It doesn't really matter as long as they get the actionable insight. And a lot of the time when you look into, you know, industry 4.0 and all this stuff, it's, it's overwhelming. And if you just, at the end of the day, you don't really care. Assuming it's all safe, legal and accurate, you just want to know what's going on and feel, you know, the, and trust in that. Right. I love that idea of democratizing this technology, making it easier and reducing the barriers for smaller and mid-sized businesses to gain those same insights that larger companies can already have, as you mentioned with their, you know, you might have a, a whole team of, of data scientists and experts and not every company has that, right? Absolutely. We're trying to democratize it on, 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 from the developer's perspective. You know, you don't have to be at a really big company to build your own tech company. You can... If you and a mate, you know, love building computer vision AI or something that uses sales data or something that uses temperature data, whatever that might be, and you build that model, that application, you can now have a place to sell it and you don't have to be concerned with, but how are we going to connect to the sensor? Right. Like, leave that to us. You do what you do best. Um, and, and so absolutely democratizing it there, consumerizing it for the consumers so that it's easy and, you know, not daunting. I mean, those were two ambitious goals, but th- they were inextricably linked. You can't have one without the other. And we, we often see them in, in the marketplace. And I think that's what's created sort of this demand and constant interest from any company that we've spoken to, whether or not they've spoken to us for something, then we explain our process on how we do things. They come back to us and say, all right, that problem is actually so much more minor. We realize that we can do so much more with you now. We can realize that we can really leverage and take our companies to the next level with what it is. 
So Martin, talk us through a little bit of the architecture. You actually uh, started with the hardest thing, right? The video streaming and dealing with, as you said, large uh, data sets. Talk us through how you ensured that the platform and foundation that you're building with Joel's team is going to scale to that broader set of use cases and capabilities that they envisioned in there. So there was the... Uh, explicit definition of the Vibana development kit, which is gives you some tools, right? But there's also some an implicit framework that it defines. So the, the first thing is automate everything. So the, the it presents or gives you um, CI/CD pipeline defined in infrastructure as code. So the, the the definition of the automation itself is automated. So you've got this automation pipeline for that both Joel's crew could use, but also the other developers on Joel's platform could use that would just build and deploy and apply all the compliance stuff and and sanity checks and 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 you know logging and monitoring and all the other things that you need. So that there's that. It also implicitly defined a bit of a compute model which was um, container based. Uh, I think Fargate in this case. So it was the the serverless container service that we have, and that that was cool because it wasn't going to be prescriptive around how the current tech implementation for the vision stuff in retail had to be built, uh, but it also wasn't going to be prescriptive for the compute for for future development efforts. But it was very low maintenance overhead because it is it is still serverless. Then there was, you know, obviously for the, the this vision thing, there was uh, the Kinesis video streaming for ingestion and it was Kinesis... Um, Kinesis data analytics for the some of the other stuff, and then it was S3 and just the regular stuff. But yeah, it was just as serverless as possible, um, as non-opinionated as possible. So only be opinionated in terms of the guardrails and the compliance and security. Don't be prescriptive around how we think the applications will um, will be built. But at the same time, make sure validate it this approach by making sure it supports what Vegan and Joel were already trying to do. And, and I, I think. We had to respect that because I've been, I've worked many, well now decades ago, I worked at a startup and and that thing of um, producing something working that that illustrates your vision is super important, not just for getting investment, but it's a great sanity check on your own vision. So making sure that they could do that as effectively as possible was really important as well. Joel, was that, that extensibility a really important part of what you um, were looking to get out of this engagement? Absolutely critical. Every day when we were working on this prototype, you know, we were being presented with challenges and questions on what something's going to look like and whether or not, you know, we've used the term marketplace a lot for, you know, these third-party developers to you know, build their own business and upload an app and that'll tell them how much it's going to cost to operate if it's in the cloud or at the edge and then they can put a margin, you know, all of that. But then what happens when someone who's a data scientist who doesn't do AI models that says, oh, if a retailer or a construction company or a farmer or a bio security company, whatever it is, had this sort of data, I could process it and build this sort of model. So now how do you have not just a marketplace for the application, but a marketplace on the data that is extracted from that initial data extraction model? And then who has to pay for that process? And it just becomes this whole web. And so, you know, effectively, we didn't need to answer that in the prototyping, and we don't need to answer that today. We don't have to answer it tomorrow. But it's something that we need to allow for answering in the future. You know, we really, we're at the fore, and so that was awesome. The AWS prototyping team and us to be able to just every day discuss this and actually, you know, 
this is where opinions are important, where, where, where the experience of Martin's team can say, look, I've seen this before in this company and, and, and it didn't work there or this worked really well here. You know, that's why we're hardware agnostic. You know, that, that was, you know, the advice that we got and we took and it's been great. Um, we had to build for the future. Right. You know, we, we're really, we're just at the forefront of where AI is, let alone consume, at a consumer context. You know, once we get to unsupervised learning and all of this sort of stuff, I mean, in years to come, it, it'll be the next revolution of it. And so we also wanted to build with that in mind. But at the same time, all of this complicated jargon, it doesn't matter to the decision maker, to the, to the user. They want to feel that it actually, we, it needs to be wholesome. It, it really just needs to be, yes, it is a piece of technology, but it is, it is a wholesome one that can understand the emotions of people and yourself. Uh, you know, we might, you know, we want to build, you know, we talk about actionable insights. So what does that mean? It means something different for each user. It might mean different ways of phrasing things. So it's not alarmist. You know, each person's emotions will manifest differently, let alone the customers in their stores or if it's, you know, um, ag. So really it had to be completely unprescriptive and opinionated that allows you know, every type of developer and every type of user to use the same product. You had this vision that you expanded even further. Talk a little bit about um, that tension because Martin sort of hit on this of you're still wanting to show value to your investors and to your initial customers and that tension between that and that innovation and experimentation that's required in this kind of technology that's at the forefront when you're thinking, you know, for years ahead. Talk a little bit about that, what that tension was like for you. It's a tension and it's it's an emotional thing. You know, when we were treated ourselves as a startup, you know, in Australia, we've got an awesome startup ecosystem here. But it is different to the Bay Area, it's different to the States, it's different to Israel. It's a lot more junior, let's say it that way. And, you know, so whether or not it's failure, you know, we try to have, you know, nights funny in failure, but failure isn't respected in Australia. And this tension of, you know, are we going to just be some software company that's VC back that does raise after raise after raise, or are we going to validate ourselves through paying customers you know, versus free customer acquisition, you know, just get customer. It doesn't matter if we lose money on every single one because we can just keep, you know, raising money and asking people. You know, it, 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 it's a mindset thing as well, whether or not it's myself as one of the, as the CEO and co-founder, my, my business partner or, or, or the investors. And we are incredibly fortunate, you know, the investors, Mark and Saki, you know, they've backed us when we actually didn't have a vision. We actually spent our first year figuring it out. We, we were young, tenacious, arguably had a brain between the two of us. And, and we said, you know, we want to figure out how we can use technology to enhance experiences, to work with people. And we set out for the year to figure that out. And we've got a, for lack of a better term, a graveyard of ideas, all in these big plastic tubs and each one represents an idea that we had to it, we started on we prototyped and delivered to customers gave it to them or or just put it in a box close the lid i mean we've got dozens of them ranging from you know 10 bucks 100 bucks to our biggest one of 100 grand and each one gave us you know incredible learnings and it's hard saying to the investors to you know we, we do look at them as business partners not investors 
we're incredibly fortunate and it's not common here in Australia, but it's, it's not enough to keep saying, mate, we're onto something. You, you, you got to look at the vision. You got to look at the vision. You got to look at the vision. It's like, well, show me what you're doing. Show me. What? Like, <laughs> yeah. Show yeah. me. Like, show me the idea. Like, that's awesome that you've got some sci-fi inspired idea. It's sci-fi for a reason. You know, right. the, the, the cartoons and the CGI make it real. Where is it real in our world? Mm-hmm. Who wants it? And why, how are they going to use it? And, and that's really why we started with Retail brick and mortar because e-commerce retail is amazing. There's incredible insights, big companies, small companies. There's opportunities for you. For brick and mortar, they've been left in the stone age. Unless you, you know, the Amazon Go just walk out is epic and it's got its place. But for mom and pop shops, they're probably not going to go to that sort of tech. It doesn't make sense. So how can we empower them? And how can we prove to them that technology can be wholesome? and a value to their business right now, right? Not just exactly. in the future, but really actually actionable, as you said. Exactly. And that to the investors, they can see that vision and then mm-hmm. they can they can talk to our customers. You know, business, you know the, the financial backers, can, they can talk to our business customers. The best one I've got is, you know, from the ag context, when we built an, an automated cattle gate just to open and close, certified organic farm, rah, rah, rah. Mm-hmm. And we, we love every user to have a piece of them in our technology. And the gate, you know, the cows respond to a farmer's whistle. So that whistle was, you know, recorded into the tech. The gate opens. It plays a, a whistle through the megaphone of that farmer. And the cow goes moo and goes through. To the look on the farmer's face to see the cows respond to his whistle while he stood up on the hill hundreds of meters away. It's, it's all, it's like, it gives me chills. It, it's exciting. And that's what we're like, well, how can we, Package that up into everything we do. Every piece of technology we have needs to know that every customer is different and every customer has different customers and everyone matters. Everyone's still a human. So how do we build an emotionally understood piece of technology that's almost you know, separate from the technology? We talk at Amazon about failing fast and experimentation, but maybe it's really that iterative, active experimentation where you're taking those learnings and feeding them back into your business and your vision and and the execution that you have that's really maybe more palatable than saying that you're failing fast. (laughs) Yeah, whether or not it's a terminology thing, it is, it's iterative. It's not a failure, it's an iteration. And I, you know, each box, you know, should represent an iteration of our thought process of how technology works with someone. So in that context, we haven't failed yet. We just keep iterating and, you know, the product just keeps getting better and better and better. And that was like the original version. Talk to us a little bit about where you are now. What, what's going on? So the, the prototyping team really helped us do that, build that prototype out that are, and really just be that foundation, be the foundation and the bedrock to this product. And so now, you know, we've trained that AI, we've trained that behavior model, and we've deployed that across stores across Australia now. And, you know, we're now speaking with the decision makers, the store managers to understand how, and yesterday I had a meeting and it was just, her face lit up. It was just awesome to see like, oh my God, is that how, you know, customers are behaving there? Wow, that, you know, we pride ourselves on customer experience and staff interaction. So, you know, that's great to see there. I think we should lift in this department there. That's where it's at now. We're starting to get that positive reinforcement that what we've done is actually evoking an emotional response, not a a business decision-making response alone, but an emotional response of, that is awesome to see that what we're doing is working or 
I can't believe you can understand our store that well. Or uh, and so now we've you know we've done work in the biosecurity space as well in the agri tech space, which was an awesome project called the Purple Hive with an ASX listed company, Bega, here in Australia. And we've also you know been, been asked to do some work in the construction sector in Hong Kong, as well as you know some offshore regulatory work in the environmental space. You know, it's we love it. It's and it's tech for good, whether or not it's helping small businesses or medium businesses or large, it's helping people and it's helping the environment. And it's just awesome to wake up every day and be this passionate about it. Well, your passion comes through for sure. And I I, <laughs> I, I I, can sense that, you know, that visceral connection that your customers are having with those insights and, and feeling really connected to the information and connected to their end users. Uh, it's a really exciting, exciting journey, I'm sure, to be on. What would you share with our, you know, just last few minutes here with our listeners who might be on a similar journey to you, maybe starting in the cloud or starting that innovation? What what are your what are what's your key takeaways here? It's probably a couple. The largest one, and first and foremost, is be excited about what you're doing. You got to be passionate about it. You know, it's not just like, oh, here's a business idea. I think we can do that. Let's pump that out. It's because it, it, you, you will hit snags. You know, there will be issues along the way. And unless you're motivated and passionate enough to get over them, you will struggle. And then the next is just do it. Prototype it. If you want to, whatever it is, just pick up the phone. If you want to work in a specific industry, pick up the phone, knock on doors and say, hey, you know, this is who I am. This is what I want to do. Would you be willing to go on this journey with me? And then prototype it and, and see how far it goes and see how it goes. And then make a decision. Go and no go all the time. There's an unreal resources out there and pave your way. Nice. How about you, Martin? What did you take away from this experience in working with Joel and his audacious ideas? It's a pretty privileged role we have in the prototyping team in that we get, as our day job, to graft ourselves into these customer teams and, and the, the, you know, the challenges that they come to us with they have this threshold of uh, difficulty in innovation and that means that they're all really interesting. So it's always a privilege to to work on these cool things and just to get a sense of some of the great creative and clever stuff that's going on. So that's, it's an emotional, it's a personal and emotional thing I took from it to, to begin as a first thing, but also it's a creative challenge. So, uh, they're doing something no one else has done before in the world in many dimensions. So that was great for us because it meant we could help with something that was not done before. Uh, and that's, as a someone who likes to build stuff, that's, that is the best possible place you can be in. Uh, I think also, it's not mundane, but like on the, the meat and veg of things, it's really important that you sift the the distractions, the technical distractions of day-to-day stuff from the solving a real problem thing. So for us, focusing on the on uh, tackling the hard um, logistical and day-to-day repeated challenge, it's not the boring stuff. It's really interesting, but it, it's a distraction from the main game for Vimana. So focusing on that stuff to try and give them a platform they can use now for for their immediate deployment, but, but also for their vision. Um, that's going to scale to their customers and, and other developers on their platform. That staying focused on on 
on tackling the hard, undifferentiated lifting parts of their problem was was key for us in this one. Yeah, and, and hopefully empowering your users to do things that you didn't even conceive of, right, Joel? Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for the privilege of taking us on your journey and sharing um, your insights and your mission. It's been really exciting to talk to you, Joel. Thank you very much for being here with us. Thank you so much for having me. And Martin, thanks to you and the team as well. And can't wait to see where it all goes from here. Yeah, we'll be watching closely. It was really fun. Thanks, Joel. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks, Sarah. I'd like to thank our listeners for coming on today's journey with us. Innovation Ambassadors is a production of the AWS Media Series. Look for future episodes of our vodcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or your favorite streaming platform. If you have ideas for future episodes or comments on this one, send us a tweet at hashtag AWS Innovation Ambassadors and share your thoughts. Thank you. Thank you.